Welcome to the Select Star Podcast, your resource for innovative technology, developer topics, and more. Here's your host, Margo McCabe from the HarperDB team. Welcome to Select Star Podcast, hosted by HarperDB. In this episode from August 2018, HarperDB CEO Steven Goldberg interviews Greg Cook, the founder of Cloud Premise with over 15 years of experience across numerous technical roles. This discussion is in the realm of ETL and enterprise architectures in modern day technology, along with how to successfully manage a modern day engineering team. Hope you enjoy. Hello everyone. Today we have with us uh, Greg Cook who has a background in enterprise architecture, integration, startups, and um, development. Um, Greg, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Could you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. Uh, so I went to school at Arizona State for computer information systems. And when I left that, I went into basically consulting and building custom systems, custom accounting systems, things like that. And that led me into a lot of architecture and program management and starting to try to figure out how to get all of the dis distributed systems to integrate into something that was usable. And so I got into enterprise architecture pretty heavily. Um, so I, I got a few certifications there and then I got really excited about the cloud. And so really focused on getting data in and out of cloud applications and back to on-premise. Uh, so I started a couple companies in there, uh, one company that was focused on trying to make marketing intelligence of that data, um, one that was more just consulting, and, and then now I'm working on a new startup that's uh, a little bit out of that space. It's more in, in to do with uh, influencer marketing with uh, your product reviews and kind of your information that you're trying to bring into your feed based on your influencers. Very cool. And so it sounds like you, you, you've worked on lots of different sort of architecture patterns, deployment patterns, hybrid cloud, full cloud, SaaS, um, on-premise, um, different areas. Yeah. I mean, I basically started all on-premise and then been all on cloud and have actually kind of made a name for myself as architecting across these different scenarios. And, and so when you've been looking at that, what, what are some of the challenges? Because I think a lot of people today, at first people were really hesitant to move into the cloud. And, you know, you and I have a lot of experience sort of moving people to the cloud, but then people bought full into the cloud. And then I think within the last couple of years, there's been this shift in people realizing maybe a hybrid cloud is a, is a better strategy. Is that something you've seen, and has there been challenges around that, or do you see people still just fool on in the cloud? Well, <clears throat> I think I think the word the cloud is is really kind of silly thing to say at this point. Yeah, right, because um, it doesn't really mean anything anymore because everything's just everywhere. And I think that just like you said, when people kind of embrace the cloud, like they've almost too much to the point where no one even knows what it means anymore, and so. My number one concern is honestly security. And one of the things that I've uh, realized in my role as kind of an enterprise architect is it, there's very few people who understand where everything is enough to understand how something is going to work and, and then also be 
uh, secure and you're not going to be leaking that data out. So I think that's my number one concern has been in security, uh, just because I've not found a a counterpart in security that like I, I keep wanting someone to like check on me. Yeah. Right. And there's no one checking on me. Like I guess shoot, that means that I'm supposed to be responsible for this, and so that's not something that I was expecting. Um, by being so into the different cloud architectures. So that's probably my first one. Um, the second one is just, um, you know, the the pattern of data and data integrity is, is really challenging um, because I had really gone, you know, early in my career, again, all in with message-based, you know, middleware and, and like master data management, and then you go into the cloud and everything is, Based upon you got this system, this system, and, and so now you're you're just basically back to a batch framework and, and sending data, and so um, keeping the data integrity is a real challenge. I think that's that's the second. And and those two things sort of relate together. I mean, because one of the things you mentioned in the first part of that was security and the security problem being nobody knows where the things are and. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about that, I'm, I'm guessing you're talking about data repositories and data access, correct? Yeah, right. Anything from like a a network based security all the way down, you know, all the way up to like, does this user are they supposed to have access to this thing, right? Um, and is this thing that they're looking at correct? So it's it's like the whole, you know, it is is the same problem that we we've always had, but it's it's so much more spread out now because of the service. Let's not call it a cloud environment, but let's call it a services-based environment. Exactly, services-based environment, exactly. And do you think that's because things are obfuscated, or do you think it's because there are just so many pieces that people are using? Is it a little bit of both? Is it something else? Well, I think it probably depends on the specific projects that you deal with, but a lot of my consulting experience is based upon, you know, business verticals and their priorities to get things done so so quickly as opposed to so pristinely and so uh you know when i've worked on the product side it's a lot more focused on like the engineering precision and yeah. versus when you're when more in a consulting role it's like how quickly can we deliver value and so a lot of things go out the window uh under the word business value that you would not ever put out the window if you're more focused on the product side and so I, having both had both those hats on, it's it's kind of illuminating. Yeah, and so you're you're unique in the sense that most people who have a hardcore consulting background don't end up in the product side. Most people who are interested in product don't end up in the consulting side. Yeah, um, there are some examples of that, um, but you have kind of um, done both. And unlike most people, like myself, you know. I did consulting, I realized it wasn't for me, and I left, and I um, went to product. You've managed to sort of maintain both, and successfully maintain both, which is really interesting, but that does give you a unique perspective. And so, on the product side, you're building your own product, it deals with a lot of different sort of data sources, it's dealing with private personal information, PCI compliant data, maybe even at some point, but PPI for sure. What are some of the sort of data and integration challenges you're encountering there or you anticipate? Well, some of it is just, I, I think that anytime you're building like a product, you have, you, it's not 
you're not always reinventing the wheel any, anymore. It's so easy to string together pieces of technology. So it's more of like the like the ditch digging of like getting the data into some kind of data store and processing it in a way that then makes sense to anybody. And so right now, for example, I'm trying to figure out which search index I'm going to be using for our product yeah. and how we're going to then index that data. Um, and then how are we going to retrieve that information? So, it, it, you know, these are not problems that have been solved before, but it's like doing it correctly and doing it in, in, um, doing, doing it correctly and doing it in a way that is secure and actually gives you the answer that you want, especially with what we're doing now, which is trying to really get, give people trust in the data that they're yeah. getting. Um, I think that that's, it's the challenge of the data integrity. So in this case, it's more of a data integrity challenge, um, of being able to say, if I have all this information coming at me and I want to have it filtered in a certain way, uh, how do I do that correctly and what's the right technology? And, and so you have a lot more experience with enterprise architecture than I do. And you have a lot more experience working with big companies, but you also build your own products. Um, and it seems to me when you talk about data integrity, like even you right now, you're, you probably have some database that you're using that you, as your transactional store, and then you're looking for a search product. Don't you think that by folks looking at continually layering on different products and specialized tools for each one of these sort of data workloads, don't you think that that in and of itself sort of exacerbates the data integrity problem that you and I have both been paid a lot of money to solve by a lot of people? Well, yeah, I, I, I do. I think that I don't know if it's because, you know, maybe people are just not that detail-oriented and yeah. effective at doing it correctly yeah. or if it's really that that difficult but it just seems like it's a, it, it continues to be a problem yeah and to the point that i end up having to do a lot of it myself right yeah. because um i'm trying to make sure that you know the information that's coming back to our users is has all of the transactional integrity yeah and to get that to flow from my data structure through a search index so they can find the index. So that's filtered across the people that they're trying to filter it through um, to get the right answer for that is a, is a, actually a pretty big challenge for sure. Yeah. And I mean, and you're just starting out now and I'm starting know, out on this one. Yeah. And yet you and I together uh, have worked on projects from companies that have been around forever that uh, when we worked with, one large auto manufacturer, I think they had systems there that were older than both of us. Um, that problem gets exacerbated significantly o over time. There are smart people in the world. W what do you think keeps people sort of replicating this problem even though they know better? And Or is it that there is a solution and we just haven't found it? Or do you think it's that... Well, that's a really... That's a... Interesting question. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's some of it is a technical problem, but I think some a lot of it is a business problem for and sure, like a people problem. Um, so I think on the technology side, uh, everybody has like a technology flavor that they believe in, and they yeah. it's made them successful. And 
when everything they know, when they're and then they know it and they're yeah. like oh I have a problem I'm going to figure out how to solve it with the thing I know because yeah. then I know I'll probably be successful with it and that's I think where kind of trying to become more of a true enterprise architect and yeah. abstract out technology has been helpful for me because yeah. even though I've specialized in certain technologies I think that's where I became successful in my consulting career was that even though I was a specialist in one area, I was actually coming to that with an enterprise architecture hat on yeah. to say, this is where this tool is not good, right? This is where you need this tool. Uh, and so being able to do that uh, and do it uh, without bias is very difficult, right? Yeah. Most people have bias. And then when you pl uh, apply the fact that there may not be a good technical fit for it anyway, um, and you have a, a people that are making decisions more based on, uh, you know, we already bought this product, so now we've got to make it work. Or we gotta, we're going to put our, our budget in this department. So I think the, the human element gets in the way of, of this a lot. So then you end up with, hey, I've got a database over here. I've got, I've got a customer database in this product. I've got a customer database over here. Now it's in the cloud, and I've got... I've got you know a cloud-based app that has its own customer database. I've got now I've got Internet of Things going on. I've got data there now, and so it's only getting worse, you know, by the second. That's interesting. And then you mentioned also there there are business problems to this as well. And so are those business problems just hey I already bought this or I have vendor lock-in or do you see other common business problems that drive people towards? creating data integrity challenges? Hmm. I don't know if it's, I don't think it's as much vendor lock-in on the business side. Um, Is it just speed? Like I need to deliver something for this quarter? I think usually from my experience in, in business consulting, at least in the customers I've had exposure to, which are some pretty big customers yeah. and we've, we've shared the, some yeah. of those customers, that is definitely time to market yeah. for sure. And so I will come in and I'll say, well, here's, here's a solution that we can do. Yeah. And here's a subpar solution that we can do faster. And every single time they will take the, the subpar solution because they need it faster. And so the business requirement to get something to market sacrifices a lot that, would help in in this solve this problem in terms of data integrity and security and, and kind of the non-functional requirements. And I've never I've never figured out how to solve that except for when I've run my own companies or built my own products. Yeah, I I think um, yeah I, I think that's a problem that obviously we run into a lot. Um, I think that it is a common problem. Um, I think that from my perspective, a lot a large part of it um, is from the, the tool sets that have been made available that people have gotten comfortable with and the patterns sort of create that and that people have been un, uncomfortable reinventing the wheel, like you said, and I think that that exacerbates the problem too, but we don't need to go into that. Uh, well, well you know, no, I, I mean, it's a good point because yeah. I think, you know, in, in some of my consulting was focused on salesforce.com yeah. and you have kind of two people in the world that were either love Salesforce or hate Salesforce. Yeah. And so therefore any problem that you see, they either will solve it and hate Salesforce or they'll solve it with Salesforce because they love Salesforce. And it wasn't even like any kind of like engineering discussion. Yeah. 
Um, and so there's very few people that were willing to like reinvent themselves. I've, and those are actually the people who are the best, right? Someone yeah. who would say, hey, I am a Java developer and I know SQL, but I'm going to go learn Apex. Yeah. Or someone who's like, hey, you know what? I'm going to go learn unstructured data model yeah. and, and, and actually Bring push themselves. And so especially on a, a company that has tighter budgets that is not kind of teaching that like self-discovery and like pushing people to grow yeah. new technologies – it's not as much vendor lock-in as it's much like mindset lock-in of like, well, I've got I've yeah. got a SQL development team, so like I, I've got to fund them for work, and I want value for my business, not value for them to go out and get a new job. And so like, why should I train them to be no SQL engineers? Because then they're just going to get a, a, a job doing no SQL somewhere, right? As opposed to if I just pump more product requirements down at them and say, hey, I need this you know next week or next month. I'm going to build a SQL no matter what. That's interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't, that's really interesting. I, I always learn a lot when I talk to you, but I hadn't really thought of that being that, you know, and you have people you like, you trust, you're comfortable with, who've delivered for you for years. Mm -hmm. And you, even if you want to do a new pattern, they may not have the skill sets and you don't want to go out and replace them. And you don't necessarily want to push them to learn. Right. And you're probably sure. under some form of pressure to deliver. And so then you end up, you know, like one of the corporations you and I worked with very briefly had the best .NET infrastructure I'd ever seen in the world. And I couldn't believe how cutting edge and amazing it was, but I couldn't believe that they also did it in .NET. And, but it, thinking back on it, it's because the infrastructure that they had, like the people they had in place, that's what they it's knew. The people, yeah. right. Yeah. It's actually, it's funny because uh, when I talk about this, when I'm teaching some of my architecture yeah. courses and we're talking about the patterns and we're like, okay, are we going to, are we going to modify this system to have an API or are yeah. we going to put this into the middleware and the middleware is going to do everything. And what I've learned at this point in my life is it has nothing to do with the technical architecture in from some of those decisions. It's like, who are the people that are going to, that are going to build it correctly? Who are the people who are going to maintain it correctly? And so that's why I think it, it ends up being a lot of business and people problem more than what I've seen. So I've, I've kind of found the enterprise architecture ends up being a lot more on the, the people and business side, yeah. which is why I then started gravitating back to more of a technical thing. Cause that's more interesting to me. Yeah. Right. Is I, 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 I went high enough in my enterprise architecture to realize this is all politics and people. Yeah. And so I'm going to go back to technical because I want to go invent things that are interesting. That's interesting. And not to make you put that hat back on that you've tried to get away from. Um, <laughs> but if, if you were advising a CIO who was going to build a team or a CTO or a chief product officer on how to build a team that is, because technology changes, right? right? I mean, when you and I work together, Node.js wasn't even a thing, mm -hmm. right? And then it became a thing, and I still thought it was stupid, and then I went out and built an entire product on it um, later. Um, and Go wasn't a thing, but now it's a thing. And I'm sure at some point those things will be replaced by some other mm -hmm. thing. And things, the world we live in evolves quickly now. And yeah. So it's, and it's way quicker than it was even when we started our careers, and neither of us are that old. Um, and so you need a team today that is more prepared to adapt and to change and um, how would you advise someone to build a team like that? Well, I think one of the things that is important is, I think one of the things you could do is try to introduce more of an abstract layer in your team of architects and engineers that are, that are 
agnostic and yeah. that abstract out because true like enterprise architecture is supposed to deal with like black boxes yeah. and building blocks and things like that and if that function doesn't exist and you have and like you bring in your lead you know oracle architect of course it's going to be solved with an oracle solution yeah. right and so when you have a a layer in your team that actually designs out and yeah. kind of prototypes and like is really looking for, and they're not the developers. They're not actually doing the work, you know, and then you can go out and hire that work and go hire commodity, commodity labor to actually build yeah. these things uh, and hold them together and things like that. But like your actual core, like intelligence being a very agnostic te technology. That's think, an interesting idea. I hadn't even thought of that. And, and, and a good, like a good architect would, mm. would be that. Um, if you if you're for, fortunate enough to have yeah. a good architect on your team that can actually see through that, it's just hard because most architects are, are raised through a company, so then they're they have some bias they have that bias to yeah. what made them successful, right? So to find somebody who's able to like see ag agnostically to say, oh well, let's actually consider a, a different paradigm and, and and trust that you know that this is not going to make me unsuccessful. That actually is the thing that makes you successful as an architect is the thing that you're not being biased and that's what if you're effective as an architect that your executives actually want to hear is that you're you know thoughtful uh, against the, you know what are the pros and cons of these things so you know maybe with this explosion of technology it's like we need to focus more on the, the core engineering principles as opposed to like how quickly you can build something because it's almost like it's so easy to build something now that we don't know what we're doing Right. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's one of the cool, it is, that's a cool thing and a scary thing is that like even five years ago, building something took forever. Right. And now with Node and Go, you can build things so incredibly fast. And you don't even know what you're doing, right? Yeah. You, you, you put a couple of commands in, in, into some kind yeah. of package manager and you have no idea what code is even running on your machine yeah. or where it's even running or now. Or if it's performance or if it has bugs. Or right. Whatever. Yeah. And so, it, it, you know, hopefully we're not going to lose the art of engineering in no. this explosion of engineering technology because somebody's doing engineering somewhere to make it work. Yeah. But the people who you are hope. then integrating it together, I think, are, are almost so hungry to get it done and built and so yeah. quickly that the art of engineering is almost lost on that, that layer. That's that's a I, obviously I have thought of having architecture teams. I mean, you and I have worked with architecture teams. We've presented to architecture teams before together and separately, um, and gotten approvals from them. I had never thought of the concept of commoditizing actual development, right? And but internalizing architecture. I think that's a really cool model. That I, I don't I don't know that I've ever seen anyone do that where you have a team of architects who are these people you've raised up, who you've grown within the organization, who you invest in, who you, you know, they learn new things. They learn about new cloud technologies, new on-prem technologies, and then... And they don't have to be the expert. Right, they don't right. have to be the they expert. They don't have to, like, go write every single yeah. line of code, but they are going to understand enough, and that's, therefore, the training is worth the investment. Exactly, and they're too small. Yeah. Right. And then come out, but then outsourcing even... The development, because development requires, I mean, I'll be perfectly honest, and people get a little upset when I say this, but development does not require the, writing, no, writing Node well does require skill, but it does not require the same skill as writing Java well. Did. I mean, right. I, I, think, I think the, yeah. I think the, the person who can engineer a yeah. good Node solution can probably write the Node code, Yeah. but a person who can write Node code cannot necessarily engineer, right? Yeah. It's not, they're not. 
bi-directionally the yeah, same, right? Correct. Uh, and, and so, and, and I've never understood that until I realized that I could do both and that was rare, Yeah. right? Because lots of developers don't know how to think about what they're doing. They, they actually sure. are looking for the spec to tell them what to do. Yeah. And they can translate that into their language that they're good at, yeah. but that is their skill. And that is a commodity and that should be outsourced. And the people who have the skill set to think of things in terms of Legos, yeah. right? Of like, well, I can build this and this, and this is the function, yeah. and these are the use cases, and these are the test scenarios. That's actually, to me, much more valuable in the skill at this point because I can go out and find, you know, labor in, you know, another country for very cheap that, that knows how to do note way better than I do. Yeah, that's true. And, and, and you can invest in your people. It, it and it's interesting because there's they have business knowledge, domain knowledge. Right. They can remain with them, and because they're remaining agnostic, they don't have to become experts, like you said. And so they can, you know, you and I know a lot. We know a little bit about a lot of things, whereas there's a lot of people who know a lot about one, one thing. thing. That's and right. I think that. It's easy. I mean, I don't know if it's easy for everyone, but it's from my perspective, it's not that hard to learn something new if you're not going to learn every little nook and cranny of it, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you have a team of people who are constantly just learning new things at, you know, a 10,000-foot view, you can make a real investment in them and then find the node experts in the world or the AWS experts or the Salesforce experts or whatever. That's a cool idea. Cool. well, I know you're low on time, and um, I think that um, we have got a lot of interesting stuff here, so I really appreciate you coming in, yeah, and sure. um, I uh, hopefully we'll have you back sometime. Sure, I'd love to.